the incomparable. Number 338, February 2017. Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable. I'm your host, Jason Snell. We're here to talk about uh, V for Vendetta. This is a comic from the 80s by Alan Moore and David Lloyd. Uh, over many years in the 80s, it was actually like a few of the Alan Moore early Alan Moore projects sort of stopped and then had to be restarted a few years later, and there were unpublished issues. But the beauty of it is, in the end, they uh, collected it as a as a giant trade paperback that has the whole thing in it. And so, if you've been if you read it at any point after the late 80s, you've probably read it in book form, which is mm. I think the best way to read it. And we are also, you know we'll talk about that maybe a little bit for those who on the panel who who read it, um, and we'll also talk about the film which is uh much more accessible in many ways uh from 2005 directed by james mcteague uh who is a longtime collaborator of the wachowskis uh, uh they didn't direct it because they had james mcteague do it but they did write it and produce it so there's a lot of wachowski in v for vendetta as well and of course the movie stars natalie portman and Hugo Weaving in a very interesting performance uh, in so many ways, like trivia question interesting as well as, I think, good. Um, let me introduce my panelists who are going to talk about V for Vendetta <laughs> with me, because that's something I should probably do. Laughing there, why not have her go first? It's Brianna Wu. Hello. Hey, what's up, uh, Jason Snell? You know, not much, not much going on in current events, kind of quiet. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I thought yeah. we'd just dip into the past, into the mid-2000s for a movie pick. Chip Sutterth is also here. Hi, Chip. Hi there. Uh, this was the most unexpected use of the Benny Hill music I'd ever heard. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I have comments about that scene a little bit um, that we'll get to. Brian Hamilton is also here. Hi, Brian. Tell me, Jason, do you like music? Uh, sure. Music is fine. Boom. Explosion. Guy English is here. It's been a little while. Hi, Guy. Welcome back. Hey, it's really nice to be here. I miss you guys. Aw. <laughs> uh, we missed you too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know what? For three years, I had roses and apologized to no one. <laughs> All right. And Philip Moselak. Hi, Mose. Well, I didn't know Guy was going to be here, but I'll still stay anyway because <laughs> this is strength through unity. <laughs> we, we got tricked. We totally got tricked into this. Yeah. I, I didn't tell anybody Guy would be here because I wanted, I wanted uh, the whole panel to show up. So surprise. <laughs> So how so? How many of you have read the comic? I'm curious. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I've read it when it was first coming out. Wow. Yeah, me too. I walked into Ides Comics in Pittsburgh and loved the artwork and was fascinated by it and never read it. Interesting. Whoa. And Brian? I'm just going to sit here and politely listen while everyone else talks about the comic. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> the comic is, it, it, it is a lot. And it's very dense. It's, you know, it's early more because it started in 80, 82. It's fairly early. It's, it, it really reminded me of a lot of um, comics published in England in that period that, that I've read. It, it had a, the, the art yeah. style really looked like that. It's, it, and it's super dense. And because it was published in the 80s, the, the publishing, like the color and contrast techniques, um, I, I was trying to read this in a dimly lit room and was literally unable mm. to read it. I had to get, I, I, I had to turn on a bright light in order to see it because the, it, it is, you know, it, it, that's just the, the nature of the publishing medium in that, in that time, especially. Um, yeah, it was yeah. originally black and white. So, yeah. uh, on top of that, they're, they're colorizing black and white art and that's, it's a bit of a rough go. 
Yeah. Yeah, it is that for people who have seen the movie, what you should know about the comic, I mean, I, I think it's good. It is super dense it, to the point where I was reading a couple of articles about how um, they felt like, you know, it's exactly what you'd expect, which is, hey, look, it's an Alan Moore comic adaptation. First off, he took his name off the movie because he takes his name off every every movie. But a lot of people will be like, oh, well, you know, it's it's the movie is so simplified compared to the comic. And it's true. The comic is so the comic is so dense. So much happens in the comic that the streamlining they had to do a, a tremendous amount of streamlining for the movie but you know the, there are the shape of it and specific memorable scenes in it are reflected in in the movie as well i came to the movie first and went back and read the comic yeah i i did the same thing and the the comic i i see the brilliance there but it's like a neil stevenson <laughs> you know novel in the sense it's so big and it's so dense and it so would like benefit from editing and it's just a yeah. hot mess right yeah. I think it's worth remembering that at the time, uh, comics, uh, were derided and Alan Moore, almost single-handedly, Alan Moore and a bunch of other British people from Thatcher's England sort of recreated the art form in a lot of ways. Everything we know about Batman now came out of that, basically. Well, you can see the techniques that he used, he used four years later on Watchmen at work That's here right. too. Which is better. Like he, he, you know, he, he learned and he, yeah. And yeah, it's dense. Yes, it's difficult. Yes, certainly going back to try to read it is is hard. I personally love the movie. I even really like the Watchmen movie, which is a comic book nerds are gonna take my card. Away. <laughs> guys, touching the but third no. rail. No, no, I'm I, I'm with you, guy. I'm with you. I like it. And yeah. you know what? Alan Moore loves the medium of comic books. He loves it, and he is an artist in that medium. And what he's good at is leveraging that. So when you take that work and you put it in a different medium, by necessity, you must omit uh, like yeah. various aspects of it. And I think particularly this movie, but even Watchmen too, but particularly this movie is a very strong film based off of the, the same ideas and, and the root um, – the root of the story that he was trying to tell in V for Vendetta. And this was one of the craziest for in the way of comic book movies that was adapted for the for film that was way different than anything anybody had seen. Like, I mean, Hugo Weavings, I mean, we're going to talk obviously about this, but like the fact that he has a mask on for the entire film is literally unheard of. I am hosting this entire show wearing a mask, and you can only hear my voice. You can't <laughs> see my face at all. Just throwing it out there. Beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> it's an honor. Yeah, no, it's 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 amazing. We'll get there. I, I was going to say something about um, the way the story is told. That you know, it has this meandering history. It was a comic in a in a larger collection, which is something that happened in, in the UK, where there'd be a magazine that would have different stories in it. and Warrior and, magazine, yeah. Yeah, so you get the, I want to say it's almost Dickensian in the sense that these are installments. And I think, you know, the way, I think Moore had an endgame in mind, but one of the reasons that you have to do some work when you turn this into a movie is because the comic is episodic, it is stretched out, it can meander, it can go in lots of different twists and turns and take a long time, because not only is it like any comic, an issue-by-issue issue sort of thing, it wasn't done as a novel, but in addition to that, it was done in small installments inside another magazine, and then it got a delay, and then it got... 
you know, published years later, some of those things got. So it ended up being a very stretched out narrative. I'm sure when Moe says, you know, it, it could be, I think it was Moe's, uh, maybe it was Guy. Uh, when, when you say it's a, a almost like a, a rough draft and it could be tightened, I mean, that's the problem of writing in installments is yeah. you don't get to go yeah. back and make changes. So it is sprawling and meandering in a way that, the, that, that a, you would never choose if you could do a rewrite of the whole thing when you were done. But comics don't work like that. Not only installments, but it also just, uh, it brackets it brackets Watchmen. The first yeah. two parts of the book were written between um, in the early 80s and released like 82 to 85. And then I believe Warrior folded. So yeah. book, the, the comic is divided into three into three books. And the first two made it into Warrior. Then the story just stops. Moore makes a name for himself at D.C., uh, with Swamp Thing and other stuff, Watchmen um, becomes a thing, and DC gives Moore the opportunity to finish V for Vendetta with the third book, which was written so much later. So yeah, it's not later. just episodic, but it's 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 fragmented, at least in terms of the yeah. writing. He had to get back into his headspace to write the thing. Yeah, I came in for the third book. I was working at a comic store at the time. And when that came out, and it was like mind blowing for everybody. But it's like, in in some ways, it's like, tell me the story of Spider Man. And Jason, I know you're a big fan. It's like, you can't tell me the story of Spider Man. There's no story of Spider Man. He like he's he, the sky. He gets his powers. <laughs> yeah. He gets his powers, and he, you know his uncle dies, and now he's you know great power, great responsibility. Go like there was no there's no arc to it. It's unlike Watchmen, which is uh, fully plotted out, like very carefully plotted out from beginning to end. Also, the character of Evie is just not really the same. You know, like this, this comic book mm-hmm. is very much a, a product of the, the eighties, right? It's kind oh, of yeah. got that, that low level eighties sexism in it, just like yeah. in every single turn yeah. with it. It's every single bad trope. Like it's, you know, rape being used to like, uh, just as to kind of titillate the, the reader and, you know, as a shortcut for character development. It's just, uh. she's not as good a character. As at all. Right. And I think it really speaks to you know both the Wachowski's ability to write a more interesting character there and Natalie Portman's ability to play it. I totally agree. Uh, the killing joke suffers from the same thing. Yep. But so much of that DNA from the comic does make it into the uh, movie uh, because it is following the bones of the plot. Yeah. So some of the things that I found really problematic in the comic about Evie are still there, despite Natalie perform- Portman's performance and despite, you know, some refinements along the way. It's still can I use the word squicky? I'm going to use the sure. word squicky. It squicked me. <laughs> Rewatching the movie tonight, um, V doesn't need, V could frankly just be a figment of her imagination. Hmm. Not particularly because there's actions that he takes that do have impact on the world. But effectively, he's the inspiration for her changing her mind. And he is the inspiration and the agent of change for everybody. That's why they're all standing outside the building in Parliament. And it blows up. Sure, he sent a tr- train. But ultimately, it blows up because the the people right. uh, accepted his message and showed up en masse to to protest it. Um, and we see that story through Evie's transition from being sort of you know almost a functionary of the machine to completely rejecting it. Anyway, I I think that's why we don't see his face. Basically, he's an idea, not not a man so much. Let's talk about V. Um, in the in the film, Hugo Weaving, yeah, plays this. I believe they shot for a week or two with a different actor, and then and then that 
they replaced that actor and Hugo Weaving came in. And so there may be a few shots in this movie where, um, where he is, it's not Hugo Weaving, but I believe in large part he's there and he's acting and then presumably they looped his dialogue, but it's still, it's him. And it's quite a performance. Um, you know, I I think, I think it's a great vocal performance and a great physical performance and such a dangerous decision to have. I mean, in the, in the comic, every panel, everybody's face is frozen in a comic, right? I mean, get away with it. Mm-hmm. But in a movie to do that, and uh, I, I think it's a bold decision, and I think it really works uh, because of the physicality and because of the voice that that it, it is. But he, you know, the fact is, we doesn't have a name. He's just V. Uh, we we learn that that although he likes alliteration, because you know he's got that whole speech with all every like every word that starts with V is in that speech. Um, he's room five from the testing facility where he was kind of created, recreated, and you know he doesn't have a name, and we. You never see his face and and, and guys right he, he you you could view him as being and he i think maybe views himself as the embodiment of an idea more than a person he's most akin to me uh, as the joker in the dark knight i haven't read any of the comics so i don't know what any of the joker's uh established backstory is but to me in the dark knight the joker is just a symbol of chaos wonderfully performed by heath ledger in the same way hugo weaving is yeah. uh you know simply an idea a uh, man behind a mask is not as much of him but he's the idea they hammer that home in the movie a lot and the fact that you know going back to the fact that he's in a mask the whole time in a comic you do have the separate drawings and words and in the movie you have both his vocal performance and his physical performance it's not a david prouse um james earl jones situation it is hugo weaving through and through and that shines through in his performance to make it more coherent right i'm glad you brought up vader because i was going to say that he's probably the other example of a character that everybody kind of yeah. reads and understands right. that it ha- does have a static mask. It's interesting that we're talking about V, the character, as an idea in this movie um, compared to V, the idea in the book. Uh, the book really leans into, like, anarchism. Um, yeah. Yes. The whole, yep. the, whole point, the whole point of the graphic novel is Alan Moore pretty much defending anarchism as a philosophy – V is right up there. You know, he wants to get everybody to the land of do, do as, as you please. please. Uh, and and b- bef- before that, there's going to be a period of ca- chaos that he calls the land of take what you want. But he says that you got to get if you're going to deal with authoritarianism and totalitarianism, you're going to have the chaos before you get to uh, this philosophy of everybody taking personal responsibility and everybody <laughs> making collective order and something like that. Not a whole lot of that comes through in the movie. He's more of a generic agent of chaos slash freedom fighter than, you know, there's not a whole lot of anarchist philosophy into this movie. And well, and I think that's what Alan Moore had a problem with because, you know, you know, not everybody accepts that real well. No one really accepted this movie when it came out. If you recall, it was kind of panned by, by reviews severely. Um, you know, so, but you you come out straight up with an, with anarchist cookbook on film, it, you know no no one's no one's gonna go for that real well. Well, I mean, so this is the early '80s in Thatcher's UK. This is the beginning of the punk movement. This is akin, and it is is certainly part of the family of that entire movement. Uh, I mean, that's where we get the anarchy symbol from, which is it's no mistake that the V symbol looks yeah. a lot like the anarchy mm-hmm. symbol. Yeah, like just it's, upside it's down. An obvious, yeah, exactly. It's an obvious shout out. Is that as relevant when the audience, when they made this movie? 
No, I don't think so. Uh, but I think they took what was relevant for the time and they rejiggered the politics behind it a little bit in order to tell a story that would land the same points but would be more relevant for the time. See, I, I, I have to give a little bit of pushback on that. I think I, it's very clear that Alan Moore's interpretation of V was definitely, you know, in his anarchist libertarian viewpoint. I think the beauty of the film and the, the book, like the physical book that went along with the film is it, it really, you know, this isn't written by, you know, a white guy. It's a much, much deeper perspective about, you know, societies that oppress people. And I think it's much deeper because of that. V, the reading of him in the movie is so much deeper. He's not like a, a joker agent of chaos. There's mm -hmm. a lot of duality there if he's a villain, a terrorist, or a hero. And yeah. you can look at this film and see it completely legitimately both ways. You know, he tortures Evie. He waterboards her. He, you know, he, there's that scene where he talks about he's a monster and he's been broken by the things that have happened to him. The, the one good thing he does in the movie is let Evie make the decision to do the train. Yeah, exactly. It's why this movie really appeals to me. I mean, I think most people that know me in my real life know, you know, I am someone that's out there every day working for change. I think people that get that invested in it, there's an anger sometimes that kind of drives you with that about the things that have been done to you along the way to make you feel so strongly about that. So when I see V wrestling with that part of himself, it's, it's real to me. Um, and you know, I also have to say, I realized there were some critics that didn't like this movie when it came out. To me, this came out at the height of the Bush administration in the middle of the Iraq war. And I remember everybody I know going and seeing it like four times in the theater hmm. and people loving it. So, you know, that was mine. I think you could really make the argument that V in the, um, in the movie, is very specifically pushing back against an oppressive government, and V in the book is pushing back against society, the system, everything. Right? He is a yeah. he is an anarchist. He he wants to push back on anything, and the V in the film is more targeted because there is you know th there is this um, fascist regime in Britain that he is he is specifically uh, pushing back against, which I do think is also part of, yes, being a mid two thousands film, um, that right. that's the politics that they were most, that was closest to them. And therefore they were most concerned by. And also he's pushing against the, um, V is pushing against two different kinds of fascism or, 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 or two different characterizations of authoritarianism in the book and the film in the book, you don't have John Hurt staring at you screaming from a view screen. Right. You totally yes. it, it's totally personal in the film um, in a way that the book is not. It's more of a it's more of a clash of ideas kind of thing. The the leader, Adam Susan, in the book is much more passive uh, than the than Adam Sutler is in the movie. And I think yeah, that, I, agree. I think that influences that influences how V is played in the book and film. The reactionary element to it, like what how they're characterizing the quote-unquote enemy, the, the state, effectively, depends on the government under which the book or the movie are being written at the time. And I think that in the 80s, it characterized um, sort of like the like Thatcherism and, and Reaganism. Uh, and I think it was a reaction to that. And in the 2000s, 
we had a bit of a different setup, right? Like the, mm-hmm. it, it was a different circumstance. Um, certainly they play it pretty loud and clear about like taking people away for the Quran. Yeah, uh, right. Well, but we also understood what it was to be galvanized by certain events that happened. And then we were all right. go, go, go. Let's get them. Let's get them. Kill, kill, kill. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and that's so, it, right. you know, there's this is the this is the pretext, the you know, if you go back to the Reichstag fire, right, it's the pretext that allows the movement that allows the government to become completely authoritarian. And in this case, it's the U.S. having a plague and a nuclear war and being, you know, falling apart. And then we also discover there have been a couple attacks on British soil. And that all leads to uh, this complete takeover by the fascist government in in britain so we so we think that's the official party line right but that's not right. actually we find out we, we find out they the co- that it was an inside job right so yeah. Yeah. yeah right and yeah. the one scene where you where you can see bits of hugo weaving's face <laughs> It right, gives me yeah. it gives me um, pause uh, those scenes because uh, yep. we have we saw post nine eleven right that that one of the great conspiracy theories was it's an inside job it was all a setup it was all a pretext and you know in V for Vendetta that's exactly what it is and that that yeah. uh, makes me makes me Super pause concerning. because that sign that kind of way of thinking led to people down kind of wacky uh, fantasy rabbit holes unproductive very unproductive and here it's in the in the plot I want to ask about John Hurt I think the use of John Hurt here is fascinating. First off, oh, yeah. John Hurt, who, who as we record this, just passed away. Um, great actor. Mm. Uh, what's interesting here is, so he was Winston Smith in the movie 1984. And it is, I think, no mistake about how he is deployed here. Uh, Absolutely. Not, o- not only using a, car- a guy who was in 1984, but by having him not be a person until the like last scene, uh, but a face on a screen, huge screen. I mean, they really make him into Big Brother. That is that is absolutely the intent, is to make uh, Sutler a Big Brother figure, and having it be John Hurt, who was in 1984, is uh, icing on the cake there. It, it's hard to believe he was Winston Smith. <laughs> Well, now he's big brother. Well, I guess he learned to love himself. I, I don't know. Something like that. Hurt is, is, he's great. He's kind of frothing when he needs to and shouting when he needs to, but he's up there on the screen. I wanted to mention that one of the most fascinating uses of Hurt in this entire thing is in the comedy sketch on Stephen Fry's suddenly subversive uh, comedy show. That's the one with the Benny Hill music with the yakety sax playing in the background. They have a, they have a uh, subtler impersonator that they're doing this comedy sketch around and, and the movie just uses John Hurt to be that guy which i think is so amazing it's like it's just john hurt with like darker facial hair and stuff because yeah, like pancake why why cast somebody on. to look like john hurt in a comedy sketch when you can just have john hurt be the excellent <laughs> impersonation of john right. hurt one of the reasons i love this movie is that and and one of the reasons i was considering v as a uh, like a imaginary figment we see a scene where a young girl who's been spray painting, like she's been following the V story since the beginning, like in like the second scene, and right. she's been seen spray painting the, the V logo. We see her get shot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then we see her in the final scene yes. as they all take off their masks. And there's people that we know to be dead there. Yes. Multiple, and I multiple love people. how non-literal the movie is. Mm-hmm. And that's why I, I love the idea that it's like this is – 
This is conceptual. There's there's a lot of surreality to the film, right? right? Yeah. Like a lot of the the camera shots that they deliberately have, they they make a real point to pull the camera back and to have these slow shots around people's faces to just show them reacting to it and the way the movie is uh, edited in a non-linear way where it just is constantly bringing back these themes from the past and like running through the series of events. Mm-hmm. It is very much constructed to be uh very surreal. And I think it's it's what makes this very different than any other Wachowski project, right? Like it's right. it's um it's like a dream. It really is. I find it's. I mean, out of all of the stuff they've done, this this is way up there. Like, why is V setting up all those dominoes? <laughs> no reason. <laughs> it looks awesome though, so he does it. He like, had extra you, time to to make his logo yeah, and dominoes. He's got a yep. year. Yeah, but it doesn't matter. It looks awesome. You don't question it. <laughs> Nice work. Mm-hmm. And yeah. there's one left standing, which, oh, yeah, I've got to go let Evie, like, decide to let the train go or not. It's uh, it's like one of the best lines of the movie is that artists use lies to tell the truth. This movie uses lies to tell oh. the truth. Yeah. And and it's very aware of it. I think the comic book did the same thing. Uh, and I, I really respect it. It's a, It's constructed in an incredibly well way. So a much lesser movie would show those faces in the crowd at the end and juxtapose them like with a black and white shot of their appearance previously to make <laughs> yeah. you wonder like, what is yeah, it? Yeah. <laughs> hey, remember this? <laughs> this movie doesn't even want to like, I don't think it even cares if you realize that those people are. I think it's just bonus points. If you do, no. if you see, yeah. um, you see uh, the girl there, you see uh, Valerie there, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. You see Stephen Fry. You see Stephen Fry there. Exactly right. That these people we know to be dead, but they're uh they're in the crowd at the at the end and um i like that i really like how valerie is treated throughout the film because one of the things that we see is the first time we see her it's in a flashback from the uh the test grounds at lark hill where v is experimented on right and we see her just as a random victim of the test line onto her Yeah, yeah we see her alive in a line and then we see her dead in the pit And then we get her flashback later, and then we also see her face at the end. And it's haunting because, you know, the movie is not trying to tell us anything literally at the end, I feel like. I feel like that's just a reminder of these are, you know, these are also people, um, and, and, you know, you judge it. They're not ghosts. They're not, you know, they're not anything. They are the people who are uh, triumphing. They're part of the group of people who are now triumphing over this, this terrible regime. That's all. I, I, I think it's it's a real call to action at the end. I think it's something yeah. we should all do very well to remember today. Like it goes through people that gave their lives to get to that point. It's showing these are all people that stood up, that did what they could. Some played small parts, some played very large parts, but it's all part of what led to this. And I think that is the the extremely moving message at the end of it. And Jason, I have to say, it's like you mentioned Valerie, that whole subplot, I cannot watch it without just breaking down. I, go- I, like, I, I, I was cried on- tonight. I cried watching it tonight. And the quote that I said at the beginning of the show oh. was from that. Yeah, oh. I had roses for oh. three years and I apologize oh. to no one. What a beautiful I, idea. Know, what a beautiful sentiment. And structurally, right? I mean, not only is it amazingly beautiful, but structurally, 
and it's in like this in the comic too, right? But you could do it in a comic, I feel like. But in a in a, a motion picture with a lot of action and a huge budget, right? The movie stops to tell yes. her story. It's like yeah, a little yeah. anthology short story inside this other movie. And, you know, it's interleaved a little bit where Evie is is being processed and tortured and and then going back to her cell and reading a little bit more. So they try to but but essentially that segment of the movie is about Valerie's story. That's what it's about. And that's and it, right in the middle of the movie. Yeah. yeah. Right dead center. If maybe. it weren't for that segment of the movie, I would consider this movie irredeemable. Hmm. Because irredeemable. Of, okay. Irredeemable. Because I have some, I have real problems in both the comic and the movie. I have real problems with what V does to Evie. Oh God, yes. Oh yes. Mm-hmm. I grew up queer in Mississippi, right? Like it's that's playing on hard mode, right? So, you know, the the whole scene with Valerie, where she's, you know, these are the fears that every single queer person, you know all around you has on a very, very deep level. And it is so movingly done. And Mm -hmm. I just, I cannot watch this entire scene without just breaking down dirty crying. Like I was Mm -hmm. on a plane uh, the last (laughs) time I saw this. I'm like, I'm in first class. Yeah, I'm just weeping. Everybody's there staring at me because it's it's so emotionally done. So I just, um, I, 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 I feel like... There's so much wider meaning there in her death. And, you know, the fact that that is given to Natalie Portman to then push her on to the next level. Mm-hmm. I just think it's brilliantly done. And it's really important that it is a real story. It is the real story that right. V received in his cell, that he didn't just manufacture it for um, Evie's benefit. That's also vitally important. I don't know if that matters. And I think that's part of the, the meta story. Is that V does tell uh, Evie? Uh, first of all, these names are pretty much a dead giveaway that like none of this is personal. <laughs> v tells Evie that Valerie um, <laughs> yeah. was was real and the story was real and it wasn't fabricated. But does it matter? That like oh, I think lies it, to tell that using using lies to tell the truth is literally a theme of this. Yeah, but if it wasn't true, that really – I think that would have sunk us visually and dis- – Maybe. Like, I, I am totally open to v. the I – am, I am open to the idea that uh, V is Valerie and that she didn't die in the prison and that she went on to become V. Well, either either way though, I mean the argument about Lark Hill is that I feel like as much as V is a – I mean he's many things. He V is a revolutionary. V is – a victim v is a superhero kind of because he basically gets powers i mean there is alan moore um is absolutely commenting on some of the and using some of the tropes of superheroes in this not superhero comic uh, that way but one thing v is also is v is the only survivor of a program that killed everybody else and he wears his guilt of being the only survivor mm-hmm. and his yeah. responsibility for everyone who didn't survive as the person who speaks for them, whether he's right. representing Valerie or not, he, you know, he, I mean, he, he, he could be Valerie or he can not be Valerie guy based on your theory, but it doesn't matter yeah. because he represents her. I think he stopped being a person and he started being V. And yeah. He admits as much. Yeah. 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 yeah he does. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. 
the the Valerie segment is 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 fantastic. Think about also when we see Evie reading the story in in the film. Um, uh, we think the chain goes Valerie to Evie. That Valerie is inspiring Evie perhaps to do something you know, better and make that decision. What we learn later is that the chain actually goes from Valerie to V to Evie because Valerie's letter inspired V. He's the one who was first inspired by it. So that chain is longer. Yes. She And he's replaying it for her because he basically wants to make her like him. Yeah. yeah. In all the parallels of uh, V and Evie, name aside, um, that is my favorite moment because, A, Valerie comes in at the most bleak moment in the movie, interleaved so perfectly to give a little bit of levity and beauty in the middle of this extremely dark, bleak, terrible torture mm-hmm. scene. And yeah. like they, they try that in Watch Me With Tales of the Black Freighter. It failed miserably. But it worked really, yeah. really well here. Uh, and <laughs> yeah. B, I, I have so many problems with EV and V's relationship, but oh yeah, the parallels between the two of them, and the moment when uh, EV goes outside and finally evolves into a Vaporeon in the rain, that moment <laughs> cut back and forth with. <laughs> Cut back and forth with... Um, I love the uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> that very, very blatant, like, obvious moment, cut back and forth with V rising from the flames, gives v- Evie something that she didn't have before, but I don't think it comes to as full of a point as V's arc does at the end of the movie. They have di- completely different arcs, and I have a problem with the love that she has for him, but Evie at least has some kind of different arc based on her rise to power in the rain. The movie treats Evie better than the book does. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, and the, yes. the, the, yeah. the book is, it's just, the book just bothers me so much. It is a cult programming that V subjects her yeah. to. And, and in fact, you could argue that the way she's introduced, and, and the movie soft pedals this too, it's very much like V plucked a teen prostitute off the street because she her life was essentially worthless and she wouldn't be missed in order to program her to be what he wanted her to be. I mean, that is, that is some of that, again, is the structure's in the movie, but in the book, it's just, that's what it is. Right. If you look at the Wachowski's work, generally speaking, like you can go into balance and there are a few things, it rates pretty freaking high on the feminist meter. Oh, yeah. You know, they tweaked a few things. Um, You know, they did turn her from, you know, a prostitute with someone that works at a TV station. Absolutely. A fairly important role. You know, she has agency all the way all the way through. So I I just feel like this is a good point to take a beat and say, you know, the goal of feminist critique of media isn't saying you can't have things happen to women that are abysmal. Like it's not even saying you can't have rape scenes. You know, it's saying you can't think, be more conscious about the choices that you make. And I have no problem with anything that happens to Evie in this film, even though it is very horrible because it's not trying to sell V as like a Disney hero. He's Mm -hmm. not, this is a wildly complicated movie. And I, I just think that that really feeds into it right now. And I'm going to get a little bit political. I see people on the left, people I respect really veering into some some territory, talking about violence towards people uh, with different political views in a way that makes me wildly uncomfortable. So I think this, this message at the core of it, of V really being turned into a monster, of mm. V becoming someone who goes too far, I think that's a message some people would do very well to hear today. That's a really good point. And also, in the movie, compared to the book, the Wachowskis give Evie so much more agency. Um, In the book, 
V basically brainwashes her. Yep. And she goes along and keeps doing her thing. In the movie, Evie actually leaves. Yeah. And she doesn't come mm-hmm. back until the end. She she has been she has been transformed by her experience. She can take some strength from it, but it's also something that she can't abide, at least for now. And she leaves, and she chooses to come back later. It's a it's a much stronger character, I think, given the fact that we've still got the bones of uh, V torturing her. Who's the hero of this movie? Oh, Evie. Evie is down. Definitely. I agree with everything you said, Guy, but I still have massive problems with the gaslighting that V gives her in that, no, this was your choice. You're the one that wanted to stay because you didn't give up any information about me. This was you. Well, V, V to be perfectly frank, I think he's a bad guy. Yeah, Definitely I do a bad guy. Kills a lot of people. Yeah. The guy's a terrorist. But he knows he's a monster. He, he does. And he, and he admits to being that. The only good thing he did, like I said previously, is that he let Evie decide whether or not to send that train. There is a really interesting moment where and they they um it, it's fascinating i i don't know if i noticed it before but i really noticed it this time v hopes that when he reveals that it's him to evie that she will basically love him for it and yeah. it, it, because he says he says as she's going through this he's like i wonder if you might dance with me like he says it he doesn't just say it when later when she comes back and they dance he says it right when she gets out and she's she doesn't even respond to it she's just like i am getting out of here and he's like yeah well that's yeah i figured that you might but he but no he actually holds out hope that he will have like magically transformed which i think is interesting because it's the character's weakness is that he you know he believes things that that are going to come out of what he did that are completely unrealistic i think it is the thing that redeems this movie i uh because of that because of her reaction action the fact that she is allowed to leave and go somewhere else and take care of herself and and just she just steps away and and he doesn't help her or anything she finds her own way um but that said i it gives me a little pause only because the structure of it is that we're supposed to think he's a hero and i know he's not a hero here but like it it still gives me pause that this character that we've kind of been rooting for does this terrible thing. Also, just from a pl- practical standpoint, the way the movie is shot, all of the th- scenes where Evie is being uh, captured and tortured and all of that, um, you can't tell whether those people are real or anything like that. Um, and, and, and so there's that reveal. I do kind of have a very hard time with those scenes because, you know, those are the shots that we see. But she's living it the whole time. She has to be taken from room to room by people and sat down and things like that. And I don't really believe that one guy in a various with mannequins and some masks could really pull that off. Does, it doesn't make sense because he's <laughs> ch- he's cutting off her hair and stuff, and like clearly, you know, this is this is why I think he's more of an idea. I think she's tortured by the idea of. Uh, freedom. And, My head canon is he has some interns who we never see, but they are there to help him with his prison experiment. <laughs> maybe, maybe. And he also purchased a hundred thousand plus Guy Fox suits for the entire yeah. nation. Yeah. So th- there's some economic <laughs> problems. I accept the absurdity and the. It's not a literal movie. It's a movie about ideas, and when V is torturing her, it's awful. Uh, it's also a movie. And it sure. is it is lies 
telling the truth. I think she's being tortured by an idea. And you could argue, argue in a situation like that where you're being tortured that it's all hallucinatory anyway, right? I mean, that that sure. it doesn't have to make yeah. sense because who knows what she saw or what she understood. She may have it may have not been that great an artifice, but she was so confused and messed up that there's that she believed that it was because that was the story she was being told. I can I can kind of you accept can, that. Yeah. And so we're sort of seeing it through her eyes. Yeah. It gives me pause yeah. though because I think really, I mean, he's good, yeah. but is he that good? <laughs> You know. Well, I, so I do remember the first time I saw this movie and at the end, really at the end when people started taking off their masks, I sort of understood that like, okay, this movie should not be taken literally. Right. It should be taken as uh, almost more metaphorically. Yeah, I just can't go that far. Yeah, I know. I know. It's hard because I've watched it just tonight and I was like, <laughs> this is – He's a bad guy. It's hard. Yeah, it's the, awful. The, the quote-unquote hero is an awful person. The The story is all about Evie. Every time I watch this, I waffle back and forth between whether or not the ending works for me or doesn't work for me, uh, because sometimes it like, just gets a little too close to magical realism with all of the uh, dead people coming back at the end. But tonight it worked for me. I thought it was a sweet moment, even though like we're celebrating a terrorist blowing up parliament. It was a weird moment for me. Yeah. Obviously, nobody blew up parliament, but at the same time... Maybe maybe there's a cause out there in the world that you're upset about, yeah. and having a giant rally is probably something you should think about. Well, even like, you know, I would say in America, I have grown up with always seeing these big crowds all by most recently, but it's always been somewhere else. It's always been outside of the U.S. where you see crowds gathering in streets. I, I mean, I'm just – I've never seen it like where we've stood up on something – and actually taking it to the streets. It always seems like it happens somewhere else. This movie brings up a lot of ethical conflicts, right? Because I, like a lot of people, am thinking, what the frack can I do? I am somebody that's choosing to work within the system, right? As much as I can and hope that that's how we can bring about change. Um, but, you know, it, it takes all kinds of you know, people. Now, you know, I don't advocate violence at all. I think that's the moment that we've really crossed a line in America. But I think like crowds going outside and demonstrating. I see this film as being really a reboot of a, a, a kind of anger fantasy from like a, a white male libertarian dude. And I see it really turned into, you know, from a, a fairly queer cast or a fairly queer set of writers and really turned into a, a, a really modern uh, story about oppression, systematic oppression. So I, I just think that it's, it's a very, very deep story about what's going on right now. And I also have to say, I think part of that change is why there were some of those reviewers that weren't pleased with this yep. interpretation of it because <laughs> it's it's crossing this thing that's made for them and they're casting it wider and that upsets people. Hmm, that's a really good point. I'm not surprised that the V mask has been co-opted in the way that it has. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, totally. I had a question about the vi the specific terrorist violence here because i think it goes to what we were saying about v being a bad guy and we see him torture evie and you know she is right to basically take her life into her own hands at that point um but you know bottom line is he blows up the old bailey and he blows up parliament at the beginning of the end or he has her he, he provides her with the opportunity to blow up parliament and i i think you know i am of two minds about that where sometimes i think 
that because V is, is a difficult character and we're not supposed to root for everything he does, that him him being violent like that is okay, or that this situation is perhaps so extreme that that is what is required. And the other part of me thinks, I don't know if I want to root for the people who are blowing up buildings, even if they're it's yeah. late at night and they've defanged right. it enough where it's late at night and there's probably nobody there, and there are pretty fireworks and music to go yeah. with. Yeah, I mean, obviously blowing up a federal building, do not do that. Also, no. do not do that. No, I will, no. I will no. really, really hate you for that. Don't yeah. do that. Yeah. Um, yeah. The old Bailey, for those not familiar, is sort of the main courthouse in London. It's it's old school, old school justice. Yeah, with the, with the statue that, on the top, that, which you talked literally about. what that stands for. Yeah. So him taking that out first in, in the, the book, book by it's the way, final target. Yeah, he blows up. He blows up. Um, he blows up the parliament at the beginning on on the fifth of yeah. November, and then uh, the last thing that gets blown up is Number Ten Downing Street. Actually, at the very end, yeah. so yeah. they yeah. moved that stuff around. I think also smartly yeah. to do that. He gets the old Bailey in the middle somewhere, right? Anyway, I guess I'm willing to give it a break because it is a movie. I don't think it's literally calling for violence. No, he right. also tells him that he's going to blow stuff up, and he blows up the Bailey at midnight, which is not right. I, I like to think that he wasn't killing people. Because we see him, well, we he, see, so when he, when he attacks the TV station, he'll he murders a lot of cops. Yeah, but he doesn't murder all of the civilians that just happen to be. No, even there. even the guy with the ball in his in his mouth, right? He, yeah, he leaves that guy yeah. there. You know, yeah. kills Prothero. He does think that the cops are going to show yeah. the guy uh, shoot the guys that are dressed as him. Mm-hmm. But uh, like he's got. He's got some kind of restraint. There are only really two major like action scenes where you get the quote superhero effect mm-hmm. at the end, yeah. at, at his, near his demise, and when he begins his um, brigade um, at the TV station. Which I, I, you know, in in watching it a couple times, I watched it last week and then I watched it today. It was really weird seeing the lack of action after seeing so many. Uh, Marvel and DC movies since then, like yeah. <laughs> it was weird to see a movie that was, I, I use this very, very tentatively, but uh, a cerebral movie that quote is superheroes. There's a lot of action in like the first 30 minutes and then it yes. really shifts gears and there isn't a lot until later. Yeah. I think if it is more of a dramatic movie than an action movie. Yeah. Oh yeah. Definitely. I feel, I feel like the, which I, cause you know that people buy tickets to go see action so that, you know, you get some action, but this was not an action movie. It, it, no, it, it was, you've got the incredibly personal violence of all the uh, high profile deaths in the middle where V comes in almost like a suspense horror movie at times and yeah, yeah, offs yeah. a few people one by one in very tense ways. And it's not the kind of impersonal James Bond Avengers violence we're used to that comes at the beginning and the end, but there's still a lot there in the middle. No, when he sits down with the coroner, uh, Dolores. I, I love that Delilah, scene. Delilah. That scene is probably one of my favorites. Uh, falls far short of the the Valerie scenes, but man, I love that. That's that's like, right I out of the you comic. Ten, I killed you ten minutes scene. ago while you were yeah. in your sleep. Like, uh, would it be wrong to apologize now? And he says, and he late. says, no. He he provides he her kind late. of a, a, yeah. a kindness, and you know that she, you know, she regrets as well, much she as she can. To kill herself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. I guess I, I kind of struggle with that for the same reason. Um, you know, there are some people, there's a, one of my favorite games is Tomb Raider, right? Uh, it has some really grisly death scenes where Laura is killed and it makes a lot of, uh, players unhappy. And, you know, at the same time, every single person you kill in that game is a guy. I am always, yeah, sorry. It came <laughs> out in 2013. I'm always a little, hesitant at movies that kind of pull their punches when and don't kind of give women the same you know don't treat women the same ways as the men are treated if you look at uh you know oh. uh, prothero and all of that you know they are given a really violent bloody end and you know she's treated a lot more <laughs> with a little bit more respect and maybe you can read that like i think the generous reading as you see it is um an interpretation of her character as having some remorse yeah about the things that she did like as evidenced by her diary right but why did they assign that ro- that motherly role to yeah. a female character yeah right. why would she be the only one to show remorse that's a good that's a real good point well it bothers me it bothers me brie when you talk about the wachowski's kind of re altering this movie rejiggering this movie you a close reading between the comic and the movie um, you will probably see in many locations like changes they made for these specific reasons but yeah. with leaving the structure behind and i it, it, that's basically how mm-hmm. i read it in the movie is that look that you know that character was a woman and she you know and and they had that scene together and so they left it but i do think you're you see the bones there of alan moore's decisions in the 80s behind yeah. it right if you read yeah. the book it's very interesting because they go way 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 more into depth with her character and she was having like a romance with the the lead detective who you know kind of um chooses not to shoot evie at the end so she's a much more complicated complex character the Wachowskis had in mind when they, you know, adapted this film, uh, this book from their script. Uh, I'm just saying that one little part bothers me. The casting of Vic Bishop as basically a molester. Uh, yeah, we got it. Like, we, it's a little on the nose. It's a little on the nose, yeah. No, it's not on the nose. It's just too easy. Well, back in 80, back in 82. Yeah, that's it. That's yes, it. so. Now it's like, uh, yeah, we know. Like, that's a serious problem. But, yeah. but back in 82, it made sense. And I, I think, again, like Jason was saying, that they, it was like, well, they just left it. I think it's kind of a funny, weird, creepy scene. Uh, also, since she sort of like is saying the truth of like, I've been held captive by the terrorist known as Yeah, Eve. I love that she was trying to escape. Yeah, uh, yeah. But, uh, yeah she but wanted out. In the comic, you know, Evie is young, is very young. I mean, I think she's 15, but she looks very young. And in that scene, they have her dress young and look young for the for the the priest because he wants a, gr- a little girl. Um, and they and they still say the same line: "She's older than you're used to," and all of that. Um, they kept this with Natalie Portman, and I guess they can get away with it because they have her like with the with her hair up and the dress and all of that. But still, it's kind of like really, um, you know, they give it their best, but it's like she she. I didn't believe it, even though that was what the script right. had them had them behave. Yeah. I just don't believe it that she's going to really come across as a as a little girl there because it's Natalie Portman. But you know, I guess you go with it. I think that scene goes too far in that I'm sitting there cringing the entire time at a scene that I think goes on way too long, mm. and it gets in the way of a really important character moment for Evie where she tries to escape but can't, and then V is freaking out about uh, the fact that she tried to out him and. 
I'm not collected enough again until she's at Stephen Fry's house. And at that point, I completely forget what was happening. Yeah. This uh, tonight was the only time I've ever seen the movie where I was able to actually piece together the dots there when uh, you see her escape, you see what was happening, because I, for once, was able to completely listen to the dialogue and what was happening with Evie rather than freaking the hell out at this bishop trying to... Yeah, well, I mean, one thing is troubling is that, um, and this is kind of common whenever you try to write and film a scene like this is that you run the risk of titillating based on the thing that you're trying to damn Mm -hmm. and like this Mm -hmm. was awkward it's like why are you putting natalie portman in this weird and and if you have an issue with it then you lose the effect and why is it going on so long exactly yeah like yeah i mean it was revolting it's meant to be revolting (laughs) it worked on that level uh but that took me out like that it i i mean I don't know how to have handled this better. Well, right, because it's straight from the comic book, yeah. right? Like this yeah, one of the main exactly, scenes yeah. from the comic right. book. I think yeah. what to me would made, made this uncomfortable had nothing to do with the film or the script is that Natalie Portman has spoken out on so many occasions how uncomfortable it is for her as an actress that um, you know, apparently – People that have that particular thing uh, are really into pictures of her when she was a child, uh, you know, like when she was a younger actress. So she's talked on the record many times about how uncomfortable that makes her. And I'm like, really? The Wachowskis, like, they're going to put her in that situation? That's just, I, I wouldn't have written that scene. But I mean, I think it makes, a, you know, her betrayal. A V, I think, is um, I think it's a damning moment for her character too. So Did I think the scene serves the purpose. I thought it yeah. was. I thought it was good. Really? Yeah. Uh, she has that scene before it, and she says, "Look, I need you to understand A, B, and C about me." Because he's kidnapped her, and he's crazy, and she wants to get out. Well, I I see it like I see V asking her to stay there for a year as kind of a reasonable thing. Like she will get hunted and killed on the outside. That's well, just that's a true. fact, that right? Is true. Yeah. So. I can't at least see that. Yeah, but he's being selfish, right? He's being selfish because she knows where he lives. I think that's part of it. Yeah, but mm-hmm. I think it's it's a it's a plan overall that I understand it. Yeah, right. Totally. And then she's she's talking to him. She's like, "Look, I need you to understand this about me. They killed my parents. You know, they sent me to the center to reprogram me. I want to help in any way I can." And the way I read that scene is that she chickens out in the last moment. Like she was going to go through and help him and then fails. Yeah. I kind of just assumed that that was her plan because she'd said like, look, I'm going to help you however you want. Knowing that it would, that would afford her an opportunity to get out and get help. Hmm. Yeah. I don't know. And, and I think it's, I think you can read it either way. Like when does she decide to do that? And is yeah. she, is she really going into it all the way or is she sort of, I mean, because she's kind of stalling while V gets there. So is she half-heartedly giving him this information? The, yeah, this is all part of my not, – not argument, but my thesis. Yeah. It's a thesis. I'm going to get a doctorate out of this. Uh-huh. Um, it's, it's, your, the, it's, it's guy's, guy's <laughs> wacky theory. My, my headcanon. Um, if V is an idea, this is her struggling with accepting the idea. All right. Right. Okay, I look forward to your 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 thesis on this. Your- yeah, yeah, yeah. You should go get an English PhD and yep. write this. Uh, also, you're like, going to need a cork board thing. and a bunch of yarn to connect all the things. Yeah. And I, yeah. I think the things that we see in the movie don't make sense, so we cannot take it literally. So, given that we can't take it literally, why don't we just run with the idea that? Like, <laughs> you, I keep you know. pushing back against this guy because uh, because the. It is more literal in the book, in the source material. It is. 
It really um, is. Yeah. Th- so, so, and I and I come to this from having read the book uh, back when DC published it uh, in the U.S. So, I can't I can't not look at this as an adapt as an adaptation. So yeah. that makes it much harder for me to look at it as a metaphorical story. Uh, when in in the in the source material, it was intended to be more more one to one. I think uh, honestly, I think you're right, I, Chip. I, th- I think you're totally right. I'm going to be happier thinking the other thing. So, <laughs> for me, as someone who's never read the book, the fact that this movie is so metaphorical comes through in the very end. When how are we supposed to feel? We're happy that the parliament's blown up. We feel emotions about Evie saying, "And that's why I love this man." And the fact that. They added that love story in, and Evie's arc is about that, coming to love this man instead of the idea, because she keeps saying, it's not the idea I miss, it's the man, it's the man. That is what makes me feel like this movie is so much more metaphorical than the book, because the ending beats really don't work for me. I, I have to say, if you read that as a love story, I could not agree with you less. Well, not love, I, I don't read it as a love story, but... She says that she loves the man. Uh, in the I same way, in the same way that it ties back to the scene in the cell with the gay woman. Like she's talking about how, like, I, even though I may not know you or hold you or kiss you, I want you to know I love you just as a person. And I think it's just mirroring that exact same idea out. And it's respect. Like this is Evie's arc. She starts as someone who's beaten down. Her parents were taken from her. Like while she's hiding under the bed, she's sent to a camp that reprograms her. Then she goes and becomes part of this media machine that helps misinform the entire public. She was instrumental in that. V captures her, tortures her, changes her. She has an entire arc as a character. She reaches inside her. She finds strength she didn't know she had had Mm -hmm. and then like she's the one that flips the switch at the end and she loves v as a person in that same it's not like she still has she's still very guarded in those scenes she can see her keeping her distance it's just more respect i read yeah i don't know if she loves that in her last line it's very clear she says he was my mother and father and brother and ray i mean she she lists a lot of things lover is not one of them right it it's not what he, his role is to. I I could have done without the kiss on the mask. I have to say, I could but, have done without yeah. the kiss on the mask. <laughs> yeah. I think that is that, too. That was bad. Yeah, I did write down the 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 line that Bree was just talking about because uh, I was crying, so <laughs> I wrote it down. Even though I do not know you, and even though I may never meet you, laugh with you, cry with you, or kiss you, I love you with yeah. all of my heart. I love yeah. you. That is to me. Probably the core moment of the movie. Yes, yeah. absolutely, mm-hmm. and and it's and it's lifted straight from Alan Moore's script. Yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah. Uh, you, we speaking of the end of the movie. If it, and this is where I could buy into a certain extent of uh, the guy English theory. Uh, the the ar- the army of marchers in their uh, newly FedExed uh, Guy Fox masks and outfits, and th- uh, you know, ending with this sort of this triumphant march of the pe- of, of the people. And even before that, throughout this movie, every time you see civilians watching TV, um, uh, watching watching Stephen Fry's show, watching the watching uh, political statements and the propaganda on TV. The people are not buying it. The people are enjoying laughing at Sutler. I, I, I get the feeling that this movie expe- 
has a very, very optimistic sense of how people living under fascism actually react to it. It seems like everybody's a good person who's just being um, who's being uh, held down by the man when in the early, in the early going, um, you do get V's speech about uh, uh, accusing the population of having let this happen, having this chosen. But I think it gets undermined by the whole rest of the movie. Um, and I'm maybe I'm just really, really cynical and discouraged about current politics, but um, I, I that's that's an awful lot of people who are apparently who apparently never really voted for Norse fire and apparently never really wanted what was going on. And I just don't buy it. Wow, that's dark, Chip. No, I'm, these are I'm, these I'm are kind of dark times. Well, I do like the way that tr- the people are treated. There is a scene very early on where we see all the people when V takes over the TV station. We see all the people who are watching in the like in the in the pub and, and, and everywhere, and the family at home. They're watching, and that scene is replayed at the end when they're trying to. Um, get everybody to not worry about v uh and and uh nobody in all those locations there's nobody there and that's because everybody is marching and i like i one of my favorite moments i like those two co- and, and and no you you know you you have to be paying attention it's like why are they showing that the tv in that empty bar and it's because that's where all the people used to be and they're not there anymore because now they're out marching i i like that part of it but yeah i can see your point chip which is you know is it is it their fault or not or is it beyond that which is like look at some point you have to stand up and they didn't stand up and they allowed the the country to get to this point but with and their fear about the attacks and all of that but they're not allowing it they've crystallized around this idea of V to not allow it to go on, on any further. I mean, it is kind I, of a I fantasy, totally but, agree with Jason. but yeah, yeah, it was, yeah, it's very much a fantasy. Yeah. That's why I think he's an idea. You do see, you do see flashes of the ignorant population in here. Like remember the scene in the BBC station with the guy watching laser laughs, like he's, oh, yeah, that right. scene is added just yeah. to watch the people that are tuned out that don't get it. Um, you know, you see it in like the, the nursing home shots of them reacting to VTV where they're just kind of like, what, what's going <laughs> I don't get See, it. And, and yeah. that's Finch's role. Like Finch is that guy yeah. that, that's a part, an inner party member and who is, is, is seeing this, all these things lining up and like, do I really want to ask these questions? If, you know, if God's there to protect me, if my country's there to protect me, then, sh- you know, would I, do I really want to know if they, they're the ones that are actually hurting me? We haven't mentioned Stephen Ray as Finch, but yeah, he's, the, oh, he's got a fantastic, he, fantastic. He's got to investigate this. His, with his friend, uh, Rupert Graves, who is, uh, of course, uh, from, from Sherlock, you know, he was always a cop. Uh, so, uh, they, they, Stephen Ray in the end, you know, he, he keeps following his instincts as a cop back to what happened at Lark Hill. And he's told several times not to. He's threatened. He says, I've been a member of this party for 20 years, but he keeps following this. He says to uh, to Rupert Graves, uh, you know, how far are we willing to go here? Because, you know, he realizes just what he's digging up here. And again, I would say in a more conventional movie structure, this would, this, he's essentially like the crusading reporter kind of character digging up the yeah. real truth. And it's, it's, you know, it's a less a part of the story than maybe it might've been in, a, in another movie, but he is the, he does represent like a good person who 
wants to do the right thing here, even though he's a party member and he's in this government, he is following the truth. And in the end, he lets Evie, you know, he doesn't he doesn't shoot her. He doesn't stop her. He lets her go. I did hate the montage. Oh, like the the, the uh, explanation sort of. Yeah, thing. where I see I'm, I'm, I went over to Lark Hill and I then I see the future. Blah 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 blah. That felt like compression. I was of, I was good with it because otherwise I don't know how we would have strung all those things together. <laughs> you need some, you know, either you need a character that you need to explain it to, or you need it like a some kind of trope like that. I I just saw it as pure Wachowski like metaphysical nonsense. Like this is the same <laughs> people that did the Matrix, <laughs> the same people that did Sense Eight, and you yeah. know like they are all in, on the, the this people Cloud Atlas. Uh, you know, these are the people that have this idea that we're all connected and there are no coincidences and we're living this thing. It's the same story over and over and over yeah. again. That's their that's their deal. <laughs> if yeah, you're going yeah. into one of their films, like you better get ready for it. So yeah, I was, I was, I, I, it's just their creative wanderlust. That's yeah, I that's what it. I mean about non-literal. It's just like, stop thinking, just go for it. Like, enjoy this, get what you can out of it. It'll be good. Um, I wanted to say a word about uh, Stephen Fry because it's the incomparable. We have to talk about Stephen Fry. It's, it's hey, Stephen Fry. Stephen appears. Fry appears yeah. in this movie as Dietrich, uh, and he's, I, you know, I enjoy his. He's really got one major well he's got two major scenes i guess i enjoy the scene where evie goes to his house and yeah. he is honest with her but also sort of like letting her letting her figure everything out and so she she uh makes assumptions because she was sent in the beginning of the movie. She's going over to his house because uh, he's a TV star and all of that. And she's going to sleep with him. But he, he, uh, he shows, he shows kindness to her and then he shows her his collection of banned books and he's got a Quran and he's got, he's got degenerate art that I think it's a, it, that is a direct reference to um, the Nazi policies uh, about yeah, art. It is. It is, you yeah. know, he has the he has literally the degenerate art collection in, behind his secret door. Also, I love a secret door. He's got he's got the secret <laughs> door. You got to have that in any house. I wish yeah. I, my house had a secret door. Um, yeah. And and she sees the she sees the photos on the back wall, and that's the moment where she kind of uh, puts it together. And he's just I I like how his dialogue in there is also really subtle. He's like, you know, I'm not. I'm not the kind of person, you know, who who would prefer that sort of thing. But I need to be seen having young women over to my house. And she's like, oh, and then she, then she puts it together. It's just, I don't know. He he's not in the movie very long, and I I find a lot of um, sympathy for him in that in that moment, the way he plays it. And I think a lot of that is the, is Stephen Fry. I mean, the script is good for him, but mm-hmm. but a lot of that is just the, I think the likability and kind of melancholy of Stephen Fry. Yeah. yeah, I saw this movie, uh, you know, Mississippi, right? Like it was, a, when, when did this come out? Was it 2005? 2005. Yeah. So, you know, there are a lot of like, Mississippi is not a state that's awesome to gay people, right? So I saw this movie in Oxford, Mississippi, and there are a lot of, you know, closeted gay older people in that town. So, you know, when he's having that monologue about how, you know, eventually, the mask you wear becomes the person that you are. Like I knew people in Oxford, Mississippi that like grew up and had a family and had children and were absolutely gay and just like completely hit it. So I, I don't know. I thought 
that whole thing was one of the more powerful parts yeah. of the movie to me. Oh yeah, yeah, and it's the too. one part. It's the one part of the movie that has no analog in the original. This is com- this is completely original from the Wachowskis. Uh, the Gordon Gordon Dietrich stuff, the the hidden Koran, all this stuff. Uh, I guess the closest to it is that e- Evie hooks up with a uh, with 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 a sort of a gangster type in the book. Uh, this is this is completely different. This is completely new, uh, and and it's one of my favorite parts in the movie. I I, I like the use of Fry here a lot. Um, if if that uh, if the use of John Hurt is on the screen is a 1984 reference, um, I feel I got some Fahrenheit 451 coming from this. Yeah. It is the trove of banned books. It's not just the he has both the banned books and the art, um, but uh, that that I, I felt like that was you know, sort of what they were going for with that. I don't love the successive scene with Stephen Fry where he puts on the comedy sketch with John Hurt impersonating himself only because he, I don't know, it makes, it makes Dietrich seem a little bit dumb because he, he basically is, he believes that they'll just slap him on the wrist and he tells that to his agent. And I kind of don't believe incredibly naive. I, I, yeah. I, that, that he would have gotten to the point in his career. I, I could see it as I'm going to do this and they can do what they want to me. I'm going to make a stand, but that's not how he's portrayed. He's portrayed as no, naive as right. like, Oh, come on. They'll slap me on the wrist. I, my ratings are too good. And of course, then they drag him away. And I, that, that, that I don't like as much. I blamed uh, V directly for that because right before we see the scene where he gets dragged away. We are with um, Creedy and those guys as they get yelled at to take a direct action about um, citizens supporting V. Hmm. And it's 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 like it's right after that beat. This comes out, and um, is it stupid in reaction? Like, is he overplaying his hand? Definitely. In the old days, could he have gotten away with it? Maybe. But the political calculus has changed right. because V is on the scene. That that was my read on it. Is that like, yeah, he's naive because he doesn't really understand the impact that V has been having. V brought the stakes up to a level that no one was willing to play. You can't just play with the establishment. Exactly. They can't ignore it anymore. I implore you to just watch this movie with an open mind and a, and a good heart. Yeah, I am truly mystified why anyone would not like this movie. Like, I think it's by far the strongest work the, the Wachowskis have ever done. And I, it would probably yeah. be my third or fourth favorite film. I am utterly mystified. The only reason I can come up for that is comic book rage, comic book guy rage about it. Or yeah. maybe some Matrix, um, Matrix letdown or something. I don't, yeah. I don't know. Bree, you know, I, do you remember, I, remember I when Netflix did DVDs? It was a long time ago yeah. now, but when Netflix did DVDs and one of the things you would do is you would rate the movies as you watch them because that would recommend new DVDs to get you. Mm-hmm. Netflix, mm-hmm. I remember this when I was watching it this time, Netflix, the only movie in my entire time on Netflix that I gave five stars to was V for Vendetta. The only one I gave five stars to of all the movies I watched in that whatever five year span. It is, I think it is a spectacularly good movie. And I do think, I I think maybe it's, it's a comic book movie, like Alan Moore adaptation, like League of, was League of Extraordinary Gentlemen before this, right? I mean, there's, there's, there's maybe there's reasons there, or maybe it's just that uh, after the Matrix and the sequels, people were kind of down on, the Wachowskis. I don't. I don't know, but I. I because I, I do think it's brilliant. 
Yeah. This movie has legs. Pick this up 30, 40 years from now. Guess what? It's going to be relevant. Yeah. I've got my quibbles with the politics. I think that some of the politics of the movie are simplified compared to the comic book, but the character arcs are stronger. I'm hard-pressed to say which I like better because each movie has different flaws, but the story and the concept of V for Vendetta is powerful, and um, I think the... I think the world's better for having it as part of the canon. I'm looking across the room right now. I've got its poster up on the mm. wall. Uh, this is the only Wachowski property I have any real affinity for. I like The Matrix, but I wasn't ever a fan of you know the entire uh, series. Uh, one thing no I do want to say... No. Um, <laughs> hmm, there you go. I, one thing I do want to say, I, I appreciate the fact that they invented bullet time in The Matrix, and now they've got knife, knife time, time at the end of... Totally. Lightsaber. I thought that was cool. Um, but no, this movie, <laughs> I wrote it off because I saw it for the first time, you know, over 10 years ago when it first came out. And in the intervening time, I kind of wrote it off as like a movie I liked when I was a kid, especially because, again, the V mask has been co-opted as something else. And I had a hard yeah. time separating that meaning from yeah. the movie and rewatching it again tonight. I don't know how I could have felt that. I really, really did enjoy it, especially hmm, now, not to get political. Yep. Yeah. This, if you really love this movie, the audiobook, I got it for like $5 on Audible, and I've listened to it like 20 times. It's 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 a real expansion of this entire uh, movie. So if you like that, like give it a go. And if you're a if you're a comic reader and you haven't dipped back, it, it is uh, not the it is super dense. I mean, we've talked about a lot of Alan Moore on this podcast over the years, and the fact is he is a challenging writer, and he is there is a lot of reward to be gotten out of it. And I think, it, although it is politically very different, and I mean, yeah, I, I would say the movie is a is simplified, but it's also a very different kind of political stance. But um, I think it's worth reading. I was glad I read it. It, it is. Uh, not the first Alan Moore I would point somebody to, but as a uh, kind of bracketing Watchmen, I think it's really interesting. Um, and and if you've seen the movie, I think it's actually fascinating to go back and see what the adaptation choices were, because it is a very different work in a lot of ways, and yet some of the scenes are perfectly faithfully rendered. It's a fascinating combination of being faithful to parts, but making a different whole. Um, so I, you know, I, de- I definitely recommend going back to, uh, to the book if you are so inclined as a comic reader. It's certainly an easier Alan Moore book to read than say Prometheus. Promethea, yeah. I knew you were going to yeah. say that. All right. Let's wrap it up. Thank you to everybody for being here. Uh, this was awesome. I'm so glad. I've had this on my list for a few years as a favorite movie, and I thought this might be a good time. I don't know. No reason. Uh, <laughs> to talk about it. Brianna Wu, thank you so much for being on tonight. Yeah, if you like uh, the themes we're talking about here, look up my uh, Race for Congress and maybe consider donating. All right. Look. Look at that. Everybody wins here. Yeah. Chip Sutter, thank you. I see no reason that V for Vendetta should ever be forgot. Mm. <laughs> Brian Hamilton, where do I donate to your campaign? Uh, I don't have one, but I do have to say, <laughs> our powers of observation have served us well. Phil Moselek, Mose, thank you so much for being here. Smash the state. <laughs> and, oh my god, whoa. <laughs> and Guy English, uh, here's your PhD in Viology. I remember how the meaning of words began to change. Another Valerie quote. All right, well you done. Skip the whole movie. Listen to every word that Valerie says. <laughs> You're good. <laughs> You'll get it. And thanks to everybody out there for listening to this edition of The Incomparable. We will see you next time. <laughs>